0: Hello, welcome to Learn Today on the show, Adrian Stevens. How are you doing today, sir? I'm
1: doing uh, very well. Sir. And uh, just to reiterate something we were saying earlier, this is my first podcast, so um, I have no idea what I'm going to be doing.
0: So, so Adrian, is a very great honour to have you on the show. Um, anyone who's into retro gaming and uh, will know who you are, basically I discovered you from this video where I, I, I learned about Howard Dawson on... Basically, Sega Technical Institute, and uh, you were the uh, the, f- the former technical director of that place. Fascinating. Show. Yes, I,
1: I I was I was one of the technical directors. Uh, it's a complicated story, but when I got there, they had somebody else being the technical director, and we sort of butted heads a little bit. Uh, and they thought maybe the safest thing was to make me a technical director as well. I think. Uh, so yes i was I was uh, the te- a technical director uh, because i was um yeah I, mean, I, I I certainly had a lot more experience than, than uh, anyone else there but uh yeah there there were some issues so let's uh, move on from that
0: <laughs> yeah so like you and you also made uh this game uh, that I never played but I'm just uh, reading about it um the making the stunt Island which is a, a three eight six game
1: yeah that again. was that was before uh, sega um uh that was actually um sort of the project that led me to america and ultimately sega um distant island for for disney well uh oh, back up a tiny bit um i had a, a company in england called the assembly line um we've kind of um were a, a loose ad hoc group of uh developers that kind of did our own thing um, one of the things we got as a as sort of a group project was called Stunt Island. We got it from Disney software. Uh, we worked, um, kind of as we worked on it, the company disbanded somewhat. I ended up uh, doing a lot of it myself um, on my own uh, and in, in LA. Um, and, um, um, and after that, they offered me a job. That was at Disney, Disney offered me a, Disney software offered me a job. And went there, they ultimately decided they couldn't quite, well, they couldn't get it together in terms of, um, um, what's the right word? Um, uh, getting a project started. So uh, I, I sort of moved on to Sega.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that I'm hearing an English accent because I thought I was, because um, Howard's a very American accent. Um, but I guess your name is very English,
1: so. Yeah, I am. I am English. I don't know how English I still sound. I've been here for like uh, uh, nearly thirty years, I think. Uh, it was never my intention to come to America or to stay in America. And when I when I when I did come, it was kind of like, let's see how this works out. I'll you know I'll I'll, I'll be, maybe be here for a few months and uh, you know go back to England. But um, now it's been thirty years.
0: And is that in California? Uh,
1: in California, yeah, and I, and yeah, and I, you know, along the way, I got married, had two kids. I'm still married. I still have those two kids. Uh, 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 so I have some pretty deep roots here now. Um, although, you know, we keep on thinking about maybe, maybe we should move back to England.
0: Yeah, you should. We should go for a coffee sometime.
1: Well, you're in Spain, aren't you?
0: I'm in Vienna right now, but I'm, I'm going back oh, to yeah. London uh, this Sunday, and I'm going to spend some time in Scotland as well.
1: Where have I from? Scotland from? I'm from Glasgow. Oh, okay. Haven't been to Glasgow. Been to Edinburgh a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Love Edinburgh.
0: Yeah. Cool, so um, as, as somebody who's actually designed a 2D game engine, uh, I did it for one of my first games as a sort of Space Invaders clone. Uh, I never actually got to the point where I was wanting to make it a multiplayer game. But for Stunt Island, just to give people context, it's a Back in the day, we had these PCs that they weren't they didn't weren't really, like, Pentium and all this stuff. They had these things called 386s, and I grew up with a 286, which uh, I was always mm-hmm. jealous of the people that had 386s because I could never play the demos on PC Gamer and that because I would try and install the game and it would say 386 required, and I still have bad memories of how that felt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: it, Snow Island was actually a 286 game. Uh, oh. I think, um, yeah, I, and... Originally, when, when, when we started, I think Disney was really trying to make sure that um, everybody could buy it. So, you know, the lowest possible spec. So the whole, the whole um, development experience was one of trying to make sure that it worked well enough on the very lowest spec um, available and would scale pretty well to, to the highest spec machines. And, and a lot of the design decisions were, were sort of predicated on that. But um there were some instructions that they uh, added to the I can't remember the 286 or the 186. There, there were a few instructions that just would have made my life so much easier um, in terms of speed, you know, there was just like an instruction. I, I, I think um, there was an instruction that basically shifted a register by more than one bit at a time. I think on the I think possibly on the 380 on the on the original 86, you could only shift by one bit at a time being able to shift by multiple bits at a time saved me a huge amount of uh, processing time um, and so I lobbied hard for the ability to target 286s and, uh, and eventually got that. This is this basically it double we, a double number or something? Sorry? Is that basically yes, yes, double? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in fact you can do a lot more than I mean that's, um, yeah I suppose essentially. Uh, and the, the reason why it was important um, in particular for this Game was that we didn't store the vertices of the 3D objects in a straightforward manner. We didn't say, you know, we didn't give give lists of coordinates of, of uh, vertices of a plane, say, it, it, as numbers. It was all sort of algorithmic. It was all um, stored as um, kind of like a, um, uh, a description. Um, so that we would say, um, we want a new point that is halfway between these two points and so on or we want a point that is uh between these two points um plus this point whatever you know it would be uh all of, and the reason for that is because um uh calculating in 3d requires lots of multiplication um of, of uh matrices and vertices and all of those things were quite slow on the uh, on the um those early PCs uh so instead i just created um eight points of the cube of a cube say um and then all of the points for the actual object would then just um uh, um, generated from those so you know if you want the middle point then you just sort of take the two corner points and that's that one if you want a point over here you take these two points and that's that one Hmm. so it was all done through shifting in other words it was all done through uh, taking some points, um, adding them together and dividing by two, which is what a shift will do. Uh, and it had some optimizations so that if you, you know, so sometimes it's easier to shift by more than one.
0: So, so game developers nowadays, they, they have to realize how difficult what, what, what Adrian is saying here. Basically, he basically made a 3d engine for a game, if I'm, if I'm right. Right. That's yeah. you created a 3d engine from scratch. Today, what yes. people most developers wouldn't know how to make a game engine. They basically hire, they get a license for like the Unreal Engine or the the Cry Engine or or Unity. Yeah, and and they basically point and drag objects around, and they have like scripts that run with these engines. But what Adrian actually did was he actually made a three D engine, and he did it in assembly language, which is like two levels above what we. Uh, so-called programs.
1: Uh, yeah, it was. It, was uh, it wasn't a choice, you know. It was like that was. Uh, that was just what you did in those days. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I um, I I made some more some earlier 3D games, um, so I had something to work from. This was my first PC 3D game, I think. But um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't from scratch in that sense. In the in the uh, I I'd, I'd written the, the technology stuff before. Uh, you know, also games were a lot simpler in those days. Um, it's it's a lot more daunting now to think about writing a 3D engine from scratch uh, that does all of the stuff that current engines do. But this was early days and it was, uh, you know, kind of feeling our way around what the machines could do. And every generation, you know, you could push the machines a little bit further because they were a little bit faster and uh, um, you know, this, this was just at the beginning of where three D was feasible. I think on on those machines at a, at a decent, um, you know, gameplay kind of rate.
0: So, uh, Stunt Island. Um, people should go and watch a video on YouTube. What actually Stunt Island was. Actually, today is the first time I watched a video on it. But it had uh, real time shadows, I believe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yes. The, the the shadows were somewhat crude. All I did was I. Uh, worked out what um, um, what triangles would be um, beneath, I suppose, beneath the plane or, or whatever the object was from the, from, the, from the point of view of the, of the sun. And I um, created a matrix of basically just sort of, um, uh, instead of um, taking the, you know, ordinarily you have a matrix that, that describes how to um, orient um, a 3D object in space. But you can have a matrix that basically does that and then flattens it. Uh, so I just created the matrix that did that and drew the plane again in black. So it was, uh, yeah, so that that was a way of getting a shadow, basically, was, was just uh, redrawing the, the plane in this, uh, with this very um, warped, flattened matrix to give the, uh, you know, the, the, I mean, it's technically correct. It's basically what the sun is doing, but um,
0: yeah. Yeah, it was as, great. as a purist like myself, this is like the, the this is like the golden area of, of, sort of programming and game programming because basically people could create everything they wanted for any limitations. If you could basically imagine it, you can write it in code, you could produce it. Nowadays though, people are limited by I guess what the engine provides and they're sort of dependent on um the developers of these game engines, i imagine. But here is certainly it's there's no limit yes. to
1: well, That's the awesome. limit is the, is the power of the machine, yeah, more than actually. anything. And, and also, the, the graphics cards, well, if you could even call them graphics cards, they, the graphics cards only output graphics to your monitor. There was no acceleration of any form, um, and um, they would be, um, you know, the, mo- the most common ones would only manage four colors and some feeble um, feebleish resolution. Um, and the sort of the, the top one that most people, you could assume, would have access, access to did allow 256 colors at something like 320 by, sorry, what would it be? 320 by 200 resolution. Yeah. That was that was the state of the art. Yeah. Which is uh, kind of low.
0: I'm amazed you can remember all these details.
1: <laughs> I'm, um, yeah, I, I suppose this got etched in my mind and man, actually the three twenty 325, I mean that's kind of like a, uh, yeah, that, that was a standard for a long time, it was uh, basically what the Amiga ran on and the ST ran on and uh, I suppose it all comes from the 40 character limit, just scaling it up
0: So I've also done a little <laughs> bit of assembly language in my time and I uh, actually quite enjoyed it after a while it, it took a bit of a well while to get used to I guess probably not many people nowadays actually know assembly language because you know if you're university they're not going to teach you assembly language they're going to teach you java or javascript
1: i actually i don't know i have a son who um just um just graduated actually he graduated um from um uh, his uh, bachelor's a year ago and he just did a a master's and he um he was not doing computer science but he did um he did do computer engineering which is <clears throat> um very different it's about the hardware of computers it's like how you make uh you know how you ha- how the chips work i suppose how the chips it's work. better there. degree um, degree well i i was really discouraging computer science i have to say really? um yeah why um well we'll get to that i'll finish yeah. i'll finish my yeah, yeah. my <laughs> talk first but uh so, so it was that yes, he he did actually take a course um, a course in assembly language. That is something they teach, and I think um, I think that was for all computer science and computer engineering type disciplines. They they do teach it. They teach um, a uh, or they taught a um, uh, it was a pseudo assembly language. It was it was a um, a virtual processor that didn't exist in real life. It was and the assembly language was a little bit funky. Uh, But it also gives people the sense of, you know, what you have to do once you're down to the individual instructions of a computer and, you know, how you have to think differently. Uh, So, yeah, it's still taught, I suppose. (laughs) It's it's Uh, a
0: beautiful world to to live in because you have such control on the, the timings and things like that because you're basically operating on the... Clock cycles of the CPU, and you can really be accurate with um, timings. Because I was I was once working on a project which I, I, I spent four months on and it failed miserably. But I was <laughs> basically trying to oh. like create very accurate pulses to control electrical equipment. Um, mm-hmm. But the, I wasn't using you know, was using USBs and Java chips, and I wasn't really up. To, wasn't like Arduino and stuff like they have nowadays. But it's a beautiful world because it's so performant. You know, you're working in things that are like. A millionth of a second, and you can like, um, you know, you can see that the, the, the computer chip is clicking away, and you can see the data changing per click. It's just,
1: yeah, like, it's it's very satisfying, but it's also doesn't scale well. You know, it's like a, it's um, it's great to have that control when you need it. Yeah, but uh, most of the time you don't need it, and it's just such a slog. I mean, in retrospect, it, it it never really seemed like a big deal at the time. It was just uh, that was how games were written. But um, yeah, n- looking back now, it's hard to fathom really why anyone would write an entire thing like Stunt Island in assembly. But um, that was just uh, that was just the norm. I, I, I didn't. I don't think I even knew any high-level languages. Were you the only developer on that game? Um, yes. Uh, sort of I, at, the, at the beginning there was uh, I, I was working with uh, some of the other people in the assembly line on it um, uh, I don't think they ever wrote any of the main code but um, one of my partners was uh, writing the editor you know a separate editor for the artists to create those um, models using that you know weird sort of interpolation thing
0: so you uh, but ultimately yes yeah. So you actually made the tooling as well as the game. So, uh, yes, no choice. So, did other engines based like this? Is, it seems like a lot of work. So, did other what, what happened to this code after the game? is it just like a one-off, or did the, the companies use it for new engines and maybe this was like
1: the it, Cry Engine? It game? was a one-off um, in that. Uh... Yeah, basically the company didn't exist by the time by the time the game was finished. The company was largely disbanded. Uh, I was hoping that there would be sequels, and that I would be able to reuse it that way. Um, and we were negotiating some add-on packs and potential sequels. Um, uh, but then Disney decided that they were not going to do those sorts of games anymore. So um, they could have, they
0: could have took their software and made billions from it. Made, like come like. Because, like, well, imagine, not, not hardly any... Most programmers will not be able to produce this kind of stuff, so you can imagine a reinventing of the wheel that goes on if every time a company comes along and has to make a game engine, you know? Like, at some point, somebody must have
1: decided, I'm going to make a game engine and sell it. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that's that's why that's why there are game engines now, but it's... Uh, uh, you know, it was... It was um, I suppose it was the Wild West, you know? Nobody really knew quite how these things um, um, should be put together everyone had their own ideas about you know how to do things um, you know I think I think after after 3d graphics cards came out everything settled down a lot it was it, it became a lot clearer about how you'd create content for a game and what sort of steps you would go through to get it onto the screen and what sort of things were possible because it was all kind of then um, Basically gated by the hardware, um, the, by the you know by the graphics hardware, which, which which had to sort of come up with some standard ways of doing these things. Uh, but I think before that, you know, there there were some people. Um, I do remember um, uh, Jez San at Argonaut Software showing me a demo of um, of a, of an engine that they were trying to write as a as a. I think I think they were trying to they were trying to sell it as like a middleware thing. Yeah. Uh, but it was just, um, you know, the world wasn't ready for that sort of thing at that point.
0: Yeah. So your time at Sega came after the, the Stunt Island?
1: Uh, yes, right right after, really. Um, Stunt Island was released. Nothing was happening. I went back to England. I finished off Stunt Island in, in America because, uh, you know, sort of my... Um, um, I didn't really have anyone that I was working with at that point. And Disney were kind of anxious to um, maintain control over the project and its progress. Um, they wanted to be able to contribute to it. So they uh, they put me in an uh, apartment just down the road from their, uh, from their offices, They're sort of a corporate apartment. And I'd come in every day and I'd do stuff. And um, I brought uh, one other guy with me uh, that uh, had that, that, been doing the graphics. Um, where was I going with this? But yeah, essentially, after um, uh, uh, after the game was finished, I suppose I went back to England. Um, didn't really have anything to do. Uh, Disney offered me a job um, to you know go and work um, in America. So I, you know, in the, in the absence of any other good ideas, I thought, yeah, okay, I'll try that.
0: Yeah. So at your time, did you ever work at, at when you were at Sega Technical Institute? Did you work on any of the Sonic games?
1: Uh, no. Can um, think about that? Uh, well, yes, actually, yes and no. Um, uh, when I first got there, um, uh, it was... Uh, I, 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 I heard um, Howard talking about, you know, its segregation. And, yeah, it was, it was weird. It, it always felt like uh, it was largely a pretext. Um, the whole thing was, um, you know, they, they wanted a space for the Sonic team. And they needed to, probably for legal reasons, have a few non team, um, a few non-Japanese um, um, citizens there as well. I mean, I, I probably didn't help very much being a non-U.S. citizen, but uh, but um, there was certainly an effort to um, try and make it a. Uh, you know, a full um, integrated developer in the sense, but uh, it was it was really two companies. It was the Sonic team, who were, you know, in a separate. There was basically a corridor. Um, one side of the corridor was a big room with the Sonic team. The other side of the corridor, there was a big room with a bunch of cubicles that were the uh, the non-Sonic team. So it was two separate companies, really. Uh, and it was kind of funny actually, because when I when I went to interview um, there, when um, um, Roger Hector, who was uh, the managing director, I suppose of of, uh, of STI, uh, when he had, when he asked me to come down and uh, was trying to um, you know convince me to leave Disney and, and, and go there, uh, um, I you know I didn't know about the situation. I said, oh, I'd like I'd like to meet Naka. You know, he was the you know the uh, the uh, main um, Sonic. Um, yeah, Sonic developer um, coder um, and he uh, and he sort of squirmed a little bit because you know I, I I don't think that was expected it was not expected for you know uh, anyone to go and bother him I didn't know it was it was a uh, you know I didn't know that it was such a um, segregated environment so uh, you know he said yeah okay eventually and I went over they took me into the other room I said hi to naka and um, I think that was probably the last time I talked to him. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, pretty much. There was one other time, but that's uh, that's another matter. So yeah, it was it was it was a weird environment. I had nothing to do with any of the um, those early Sonic games. Um, Later on, when they were trying to. uh, they, they, I don't know if you've ever heard of the 32x.
0: Yeah, I have. I remember. Remember, I uh, was a kid looking at it, knowing that I could Did it come out?
1: It. I can't. Yeah. I, uh, well, it was. Uh, uh, so they they wanted um, some things to demonstrate its, um, you know, its power. So um, being one of the few people at Sega that had any 3D experience, uh, I um, I sort of helped out on some stuff, but. Uh, at the time, I think I was in the middle of, finish of finish, finishing off Comic Zone, so uh, uh, wasn't really able to do much there. And then later on, when the um, uh, the uh, what was it, the Saturn? Six Saturn. Yeah. Saturn. Yeah. I Don't remember the order of them. yeah, when the Saturn came out, um, and we had been moved to we had moved to this uh, sort of satellite office in Burbank. Uh, we were working on a um, uh, a 3D game for with Sonic in it. Okay. Before, you know, um, at some point Sega sort of imploded and that was cancelled along with everything else.
0: So so Sonic Comics Zone is a game that I, know, I didn't actually play as a kid, but I saw some videos of it. Basically, it's a bunch of comic strip screens that the character... Fights baddies and then jump from screen to screen. That kind of deal, if I remember yeah. correctly. So, what was your role in that game? Were you coding the what parts of the the logic were you coding for that?
1: I coded all of that. Oh uh, really? Yeah. Respect. Yeah. So the, this is this is where again it was in an assembly, and and I, this is where I was uh, uh, I was a technical director. So as much as I could, I <clears throat> you know I helped out uh, other people and. Directed their efforts, but largely I was spending my time writing comments. Um, I think along the way I, I, I did write I wrote a um, a tool that would <clears throat> uh, that was sort of extract um, sprites from um, from what's uh, called Deluxe Animator files that was um, that was used by other people. So. Um, like to feel I made some contribution to the other games, but but largely I was spending my time there doing uh, writing comics. On.
0: So I guess what kind of logic you're doing is if the person presses the punch button, you're loading from RAM a series of sprites and then playing them in order, and then you have a calculation to see if the distance between X object and Y object is is less than the punishing distance, and then you have another logic, and does all that kind of stuff get like repeated again, and
1: uh, yeah, somewhat. Although you know, to um, you know, as much as we could, that was abstracted into data, so that oops, so that um, uh, the uh, the sprites would have various sort of points marked on them. Um, so uh, the the characters were um, were drawn in um, uh, a you uh, sort of, uh, know in, in, in an app called um, Deluxe Animator. It was sort of an offshoot of Deluxe Paint, which was uh, what everyone used in the old days. I think it was by EA. Don't know. Deluxe Animator. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it was basically how people would draw their sprites, and you know, flip through them. They would just like, flip animations. Um, and we had a system of um, adding little lines and dots, sort of on the edges of the screen, to mark um, like uh, hit hit areas and uh, reference points and so on. You know. The lines. It, because there was really no other way of uh, doing that. And I think I had a tool that helped with that because it would draw, you, you could see these as boxes and points, sort of overlaid, but basically the point is that. And so so ultimately the um, the animation would get spat out as a bunch of, you know, display this grouping of uh, sprites, um, because actually you couldn't make it out of one sprite, each sprite was only like an eight by eight or 16 by 16 block, so it'd be, a bunch of sprites. Um, so there'd be this thing that would describe the sprites you wanted and um, the areas of um, you know where they would collide um, and various other bits on how to move um, across the screen maybe from one frame to another. So the the animation scripts could get quite um, detailed uh, and for the most part they were generated from from this tool. Um, but, yeah, so as, as much as possible, I mean, it's kind of like the, the holy grail always with these things is to try and make as much of this stuff as data driven as you can uh, so that you, as a coder, don't have to actually um, de- deal with those, those nitty gritty de- details. And so you can say, when, when the artist says, you know, I wish he had to move a little bit further before he made contact with this, you just, you know, it's there. It's, it's, it's under their control, they can do those changes themselves. Um, you just make it all happen in the code.
0: So, this game, uh, Comic Zone, it had its base... Were you re- could you reuse the game engines for these Sega Genesis games, or every time it was the Wild
1: West? Um, yes, it was largely the Wild West. I think... Uh, yes, I think I think people did. Um, if they'd written a the game, and, and then they were going to write another game, they would use what they had. But... Um, there wasn't really much sharing, um, from one developer to another, uh, even, you know, even different coders within the same, um, you know, company. I don't think there was anything that I could reasonably have started from. Uh, but we were, we were doing a lot of uh, things in comic zone, um, that were quite, uh, quite new, quite adventurous, quite, uh, tricky, uh, none of which would have been, um, you know, just there before. Uh, so, you know, it, it was, um, uh, there's not much you can reuse, I suppose, is, is, is the point. And I think that's generally true of, of a lot of coding exercises. So uh, you, you always write the code with the assumption that you're going to be reusing it all. But in, re- in reality, you hardly ever do. Mm-hmm. There's, and there's nothing, and and it's still good to you know write it in such a way that it it, it, it would be reusable. I mean, it keeps it cleaner, it keeps it uh, more flexible. But you know, moving from one one game to the another, to the next, you're you're nearly always dealing with such different circumstances, different uh, hardware. There's and uh, different different um, goals that. Uh, you, know, you, you can copy and paste a few bits of things that you've used before, but uh, reusing large-scale is, is kind of tricky. Yeah. In those days. The
0: PlayStation 3 has a really bad reputation with developers for what they try to do. Oh, who does? The PlayStation 3. Oh. Yeah, it was it was like it was completely different from the way developers were used to develop for PlayStation 2. But PlayStation 4, they sort of fixed it. Um,
1: yeah, I suppose. I mean, I I, um, um, I did develop on PlayStation 3, uh, and um, I think in the end, because of timings of various things, I only really got to write one, um, one finished published game for it. Uh, and I sort of regret some of the things I didn't try to do with it, but it was... Um, it was it was an interesting machine and it, and it had a lot of potential and and um, I, I, I think you know given more time people could have got amazing things out of it. Well, they yeah. did get amazing things out of it. That was
0: the theory. What um, what game was that you made for it?
1: Um, it <laughs> it was called Jimmy Johnson's um, Anything with an Engine.
0: Jim Johnson's.
1: I think was that it? PlayStation Three. Yes, I think so.
0: Anything with an an. What was the title called?
1: Uh, Jimmy Johnson's Anything with an Engine. Okay. You found it? Uh,
0: I'll, 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 I'll search for it while we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I found it now. Yeah, it's a card game.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a, a card game. Basically, it's a um, it was a license for um, it was it was um, work we could get um, as Isopod Labs. Uh, I think we did a really good job, actually, with it. Uh, we, were, we were a small team, and um, we had a publisher that basically Decent r- uh, Looks
0: awful at first glance. Wow. So the the yeah. dude on the box looks like he works at a home improvement megastore or something. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> can you go? Can
1: you go? Was that? So, I, yeah, it was, uh, um, uh, it was a license um, that we got from a publisher who ultimately ended up not being able to pay us fully. Uh, so it was, it's kind of a bittersweet experience. I'm quite, I am mean, quite happy with the way it came out, you know, given how small a team we were and, uh, um, everything else there. I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it did what it intended to do and, and, and it was running on a very slick engine, though I say so myself, yeah. but, uh, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, uh, that that sort of led to the demise of, um, of Isopod Labs because uh, the, the publisher didn't have any money, um, so we had to, you know, we, could, we couldn't employ any of the people we had anymore.
0: Oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, I was looking yeah. up Isopod oh. Labs. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the things that you you made that actually spent a lot of time playing growing up as a kid it was one of my favorite games. It was Vigilante Eight, very under, okay. a, a very underrated game.
1: Yes,
0: but, I thought so. <laughs> it, it it was uh, way ahead of its time, um, and uh, but I only I only played it because one of my friends had it, and basically we'd go into his house and play play it for hours because basically it was a car game. You run around, but it's like uh, I can't describe it. You basically have weapons that you can pick up and, uh, and stick on these cars, and then you also each character has its own special powered super weapon, yeah. and that was the really fun bit about it. And, um, and that was only PlayStation One that ran on there, but it ran, and and it had really this really funky music, and I, I think Howard Dawson made some of the music. I'm not sure.
1: I think he did do some of it. I uh, I can't remember how, which bits he did, or no, maybe he did most of it. I can't remember. I better check the credits. Uh, but yeah, he was he was definitely involved in that. Uh, and that was. Um, Uh, Actually, that that game was the most satisfying development experience I think I've ever had. Oh, really? It was, it it came right after, um, you know, Sega imploding. So that, um, I don't know if you've ever worked at a company while it was kind of, um, I don't know, having trouble. Uh, But there was just such a a sense of, you know, the end of the world um, at Sega at the time. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, we could feel it and we, you know, we wanted to get out. Um, this was basically me, Peter Morawick and, and and Howard. We could see that things were going badly. Uh, it was like um, we'd find out who had been fired the day before uh, or let go. It, it was, it was, um, it, it, it's just a very um, um, negative feeling. Uh, Um, So we started talking to some, um, I think actually I I got contacted by somebody at uh, Activision and they, um, yeah, a guy called Howard Marks at Activision Um, and he was basically trying to get us to um, work at Activision and uh, um, I think partly because um, the experience of, Sega was really my first experience of working inside um, a company of any Real size. Uh, I felt it wasn't for me, so I, I said, "Why don't you um, just set us up as a company?" But why don't you just um, not really set us up? Why don't you give us a contract as a company, and we'll, we'll you know, we will we'll start this company. And then that's that's how Luxoflux started. Um, and so then we 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 had this brand new company with these brand new offices and this brand new hardware that none of us had touched before, which is the PlayStation One. Um, and uh, this sort of idea for a game uh, that uh, Activision had given us, which um, started off as... Um, they, they had a PC game called i-76. I don't know if you've ever seen it. i-76. That. Yeah. And they wanted a... Uh, they, they, they were initially thinking of porting i-76 to the PlayStation, so that was sort of our um, impetus. That's how we started. Um, but then after um, a few months in, they realized that Ports of PC games to, or it felt that ports of PC games to PlayStation were not a good idea. I think they've had some problems with um, uh, what was their big robot fighting game, uh, Mech Warrior, uh, where where it just didn't translate well. And so we sort of um, um, arcadeified it a lot. We 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 took out the fun bit. We we took the fun bits. <laughs> we didn't take out the fun bits. We kept the fun bit. Uh, and made it more of a you know a melee arcade um you know replayable game um and um uh yeah it was just it was it was just a lot of fun to create it was just very satisfying everything worked really well things we tried the you know, things that um people said um you know don't do that it's never going to work um we did anyway because uh and, and made work uh and um yeah it was um and and the game at the end was fun yeah, the, it was fun for us too i, I like playing it
0: yeah it was the two-player the two version it was i think it was, was it was a four-player version or was it just a two-player version
1: uh i think it did go up to four player did it or was that only on uh i think that might have been only on uh, yeah it was only on um the nintendo 64 yeah. i think well,
0: i mean i remember that game You could, you you. could you could formulate really good strategies with various types of weapons, and and it was actually you'd be, you had to be very skillful to do well in that game because you know there wasn't just up a point clicking. Yeah, you had to aim aim the the everything really well. Um And I remember you you could actually fire bullets from like missiles from one end of the map to the other, which is always fun. Basically, you got your friend <laughs> along and you shoot these missiles off, and then you, you <laughs> it, was, it was fun, you know.
1: Yeah, I think, and I think that's it. It, uh, it harkens much, it harkens back much more to the days um, where uh, you know I would play games more, where it's not like a, you're not going through some story really. You're, you're not. Uh, it's not like um, um, yeah. I, I mean, I I never really uh, was a fan of the whole story idea in, in a video game. I, I just liked the levels that got harder and the um, you know the 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 skills that you had to develop for um, uh, sort of working at how to make the controls work for you. You know how to make uh, you know a, a game like Joust, where uh, you know the game is is um, uh, it's largely about mastering that control scheme of you know flying these giant ostriches or whatever they were. Uh, have you played Joust? You know the game I mean. Joust? No, I don't know. Yeah, no. it's an old arcade game. Uh, and it's, um, uh, you know, on the face of it, you could easily say, well, the controls are just terrible. It's just, you can't just, uh, you know, can't just go from where you want to where you are to where you want. But that's the point. It's like uh, mastering that control uh, to the point where you can fluidly fly this sort of giant asteroid around. Uh, that, that, that's where the fun is, I think. Yeah, it's a typical game. I'm watching it now, yeah. It's got yeah. Like,
0: lava and stuff.
1: Yeah. So it, it's it's just like in in, in general, I, I like these uh, these ideas of, you know, you don't want you don't want a control scheme that is uh, inconsistent. Um, you don't want it to be difficult because you just don't know what's going to happen when you do something. You want it to be completely consistent, but something that you can learn to work with and and control and gain a mastery over. And and um, uh, that was uh, I felt part of the appeal of Vigilante Eight. On the other hand, it was also a part of its um because i think a lot of people started playing it felt that the controls were too tricky and they wanted something a little bit more linear and you know you just push the button and you go from you know this position to this position. it was very much physics based it was it was trying to sort of uh you know if, if you saw a hill you knew you'd be going slower up that hill and if you got to the top of the hill you might fly off the hill and all of these things were things that were consistent within the physics of the world but uh that was not how a lot of games worked at the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So, for Legendary did you have a game engine for that? Or how did it... Well,
1: we made a game engine, you know, it's like, as always, we, we made a game engine. Um, uh, or we, I suppose you don't really think about it necessarily as, uh, as a separate thing. You're just really making the game and you're, and you're writing the code that you need. Um, and to whatever extent you can, you try to separate out the bits that are very specific to your game. And the bits that are very uh, um, general, um, and uh, you can start putting them in folders and considering them an engine. Um, actually, that was one of the few cases where we really did um, uh, get some reuse out of the engine because we, we did the sequel um, using basically the same engine um, with additions. Um, and we also, we even managed to sell it as an engine, which um, was uh, uh, a nice bit of extra cash coming in. Uh, we, we, uh, some, we, we managed to retain the rights to the, the code we wrote, which is always difficult. You know, often if you're writing a game for a, for a publisher, they want, um, you know, total rights over everything. You don't own anything at the end of it. We managed to negotiate um, engine rights. And it was something that I, I, I always pushed for and never really thought i would get anything out of but we did manage to sell one uh you know we did manage to sell the game the engine to to other company.
0: well can you see what that engine was i guess it's private right because it's
1: yeah know. it was uh, well it didn't have, i don't know if it had probably name. don't
0: want to wow. own up to the fact that bought the core or someone else <laughs> yeah i know
1: i'm trying to think of, uh who it was uh, it, it was like some company in North Carolina ooh, South Carolina, one of the Carolinas, I don't know. And and they they wanted to make game with cars and whatnot. And they asked if we could use, they asked us if we could, if they could use our engine. And we said, yeah, okay, for the low low price of whatever it was, I don't know. Uh, they and they, you know, they they had a big publisher behind them, and um, it all worked out. I think they they. They actually even said this is the cleanest engine we've ever worked with, and I thought, oh my God, because it, would not, you know, it was not—you know—it was—it was never developed with that really in mind. But um, that was—that uh, was very funny here. And uh, so.
0: Okay, we just came back from a little uh, five-minute break there. So, what are you doing nowadays?
1: Uh, good question. Um, well. Um, after Timmy Johnson, um, we actually tried a little bit. We sort of limped on for a bit and um, made a um, iPad game, um, which I don't think I don't think it's even available anymore. Uh, anyway, it was it, we sort of disbanded the company. I, I keep the email address um, just to, uh, or I keep the you know the domain alive because it's uh, um, it's useful um, to. Projecting an image of being more of a developer than I am, which is just me sitting at home doing my own thing. So that's largely what I'm doing: sitting at home doing my own thing. Um, I, uh, but my own thing has been kind of interesting in some in, in some cases. Um, I did a few uh, ports. Um, basically, if people um, that I know uh, are looking for someone to do interesting things, then um, you know they get in touch, and sometimes I do those things. Um, I did some early work on uh PlayStation 4. Uh I think I did some I'm not sure if they were launch titles but they were soon after launch titles and that was fun. Um I ported uh God of War 3 to PlayStation 4. Um I so ported say, some games.
0: Ported. What what did that involve? Uh
1: it it means basically taking the code and the graphics and the data as it was and um, changing everything so that it works in this other machine. It's actually more involved than it sounds, really, because, um, uh, you know, each of these things is written to try and, um, you know, maximize the use of particular pieces of hardware. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff uh, in the code to um, address the uh, the SPUs on the PlayStation 3, for instance, which were, you know, that, that was the thing about the PlayStation 3 that made it, um, you know, notoriously difficult to develop for, was that it had all of these, separate co that you had to sort of keep busy all the time if you wanted to get good performance out of. Um, so it's a question of, like, isolating those bits and turning them into something that will run on a PlayStation 4, which might mean running them in a compute shader or something, um, uh, changing all of the graphics so that uh, it, uh, you know, the, the, all, of, the, all of the shader information is totally different. And in fact, um, you know, the uh, we didn't even have access to some of the data, so we had to sort of recreate it from... You know the final states of things. So it was it was a lot of interesting, um, interesting things. You have to you have to basically create new, low level engines, um, like just like the graphics part. You have to re- create a new graphics engine that allows you to sort of port their whole PlayStation Three graphics um, and work well on the PlayStation Four. Things like that.
0: So how much sort of time? Does it take you to sort of learn to at this expert level of the PlayStation 3 versus the PlayStation 4 to be able to put something like that off?
1: Um, well, you, you kind of have to start, you, you have to hit the ground running, I suppose, and you develop the skills as it goes along. And it's particularly fun, actually, when you're doing that with a new piece of hardware, like the PlayStation 4 was at the time, because it's so frustrating to have to learn, um, to learn everything about how to get the most out of a machine when you know that a bunch of people already know all of this stuff, you just don't have access to that information. It's a lot more interesting when you're kind of like at the beginning and uh, you're finding out stuff about the machine and it's stuff that nobody has found out about the machine yet. And so you're not just wasting your time, it's much more gratifying that way. Uh, but I would, yeah, you, you basically have to, um, you know, start, just start with, with with what you can glean from the docs and I would say you know if, if you if you keep at it and you' and you're looking at the what you're doing and what the machine can do and so on you're you're pretty much an expert in six months um, so that would be yeah I mean I, yeah I, I would say six months really just to, to really learn a new a new console say
0: the only stuff that the only stuff that our team that I'm working with does with consoles is they work with the web browser, so we had to support PlayStation Four and Xbox web browsers, which are like actually they're not not too bad, but
1: but um... well, it's all developed using web technologies. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's the same similar type
0: of skills. Some some of the televisions like we have to support like 2015 Samsungs are. You basically have to write your own debugging tools sometimes, you know. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Fun. Yeah. It is a bit of fun and hacky, basically. I, I've spun up a node server and getting like just telling the TV to output errors to this node server. Um, not stuff you take for granted when you're doing it. Yeah. Well, app, you
1: know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I and mean, again, I suppose when you've got a new machine, often those tools don't really exist. So you uh, uh, um, you have a choice. You can either sort of um, try and code through a pinhole through a, you know, and, and, and hope everything works and be very careful, or you can develop those tools yourself, develop the debugging tools so that you can just um, get what you can after it. That's actually one of the things I spent a lot of time on um, uh, when I was doing the PlayStation 4 stuff, I created a, um, a graphics debugger. That um, basically lets you visualize all of the graphics you're sending to the PlayStation 4 hardware. Uh, lets you sort of analyze it, um, see where it's going wrong, uh, step through shaders, all that sort of stuff. And it's uh, um, I had a lot of fun making that, and I, I and, and I and I tried to get um, Sony to um, um, take it as a uh, as a tool that they could give developers. Uh, because they didn't really have anything like that, but they, uh, I don't know, they didn't. They, they, they started creating their own um, that was similar to mine um, uh, right after. Oh well.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they can't have any, uh, all the so fast to be done over there.
1: <laughs> Sorry?
0: All the so fast to be done in Japan.
1: Oh yes, uh, actually no, this one was actually done in, I think it was done in America. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of, uh, I, I, I think I was more aware of that sort of um, dynamic at Sega. Um, there was, uh, I think there was a culture of, and maybe it was sort of exemplified the whole SDI thing, It was a, an element of, you know, we know what we're doing, you Americans can, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll humor you, you can do what you want, but, you know, you, you're just uh, yeah you're, you're just sort of an adjunct you're not really you don't know really know what you're doing which um, uh, I, don't know. I don't I don't I'm sure that was a part of uh, you know Sega's um, problems in the end was that they were very insular very uh, non open to ideas and and you know when they when they released the the Saturn the hardware did not make any sense to me uh, it looked like a um, uh, a bunch of, uh, I'm not sure, if, if, sort of like um, a bunch of bits of technology that they just sort of little crammed together into a box without really much thought about how they would work together and what they were there for. And uh, um, I actually had an opportunity to talk to the guy who was the lead designer, I suppose, of the Saturn, I believe. Something, he was a hardware creator. and. Uh, now, there was a big language barrier so there was not much i could really say but i was trying to point some of the some of my misgivings out um but you know it was never going to make any difference so I'll, I'll i'll uh um yeah i'll 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 claim credit for trying to trying to save sega but uh, they were beyond saving
0: I think the, the the longer I'm a programmer, the more humble I'll become because I just realise how many genius programmers are, are out there. And you meet them, you're just like... Phew, and it humbles you. Cause when you. When you first start coding, you think you're great and all that stuff. And then you start... You just start meeting people that are so much better than, than myself, you know? And you, it, it,
1: well, I think that... I think one of the things I I, I, I enjoy about this industry or, or this, this sort of work is that uh, you're always getting better, you know? It's... it's uh, uh, I'm 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 sure I thought I was great when I started, and when I look back now, I think I knew nothing. I, I was completely clueless, and um, that's that's not just me looking from here back thirty years. It's me looking from here to two years ago. I think I know so much better now, and 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 that. Uh, um, you know, it's just a constant learning experience. If you're, if you, if you, if you leave yourself open to learning those things, if you, if you make that sort of a point to understand what you did before and why this is better. And, you know, it, I, I think it's such a, um, it's like, I mean, you're right, there's such a huge range of, of, of um, um, levels of skill in this thing. And, and you could easily say, there's a, there's a point at which um, um, there's a there's a point of diminishing returns where you know you are um, you can make anything you want easily um, uh, there's no point learning anymore but it, it's it's uh, there doesn't seem to be any real limit to um, you know maybe I'm just a very slow learner maybe that's why I'm still learning at this point but uh, uh, just every Every week I feel like I'm, I'm learning more, I'm getting better. And uh, uh, I don't really have any, any outlet for this getting better. But now it's almost just like uh, enjoyable to just learn it and, and do something with it, even if it has no end result.
0: Are you following the PlayStation 5 developments?
1: I am. And I, I kind of, well, sort of from afar, I feel like I should probably make some effort to get more involved in the PlayStation 5. Uh, because I really don't have any contacts um, at any of those places anymore. Um, so, actually, I don't know much about it at all, but uh, I'm aware of its existence and this sort of nagging feeling that I should maybe try and do something with it. I think,
0: uh, I think the dev kit's been out for a while. Developers can...
1: Yeah, well, them. you. I don't think you can just get them. Um, no, I think
0: we, they're still expensive. very...
1: Yeah. Well, and I think they're also very... Um, Restricted to who who they're prepared to give it yeah.
0: to. if you if you have to have uh, one, you have to actually store it in a building with like all four angles under surveillance. Surveillance. They won't let you actually.
1: Yeah. So given that my office right now is my is this uh, is this room here, which is um, used to be the playroom for the kids, but is uh, my kids are not kids anymore. Uh, so I uh, yeah, I don't suppose I I qualify. Uh, there was actually um, some company that wanted me to do some work for them, but, uh, yes, uh, it, everything about that development experience was so locked down that you know, there was no practical way to make it happen remotely, so um, nothing happened.
0: If a company wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to, to find you?
1: Um, email, I suppose. You know you know my email address? Yep. And/or, yeah. And <laughs> Yeah. I could, put them, I could
0: put a link to IsoPod on the show notes instead of putting your email address on the show notes. I probably fill or Twitter. Yeah, uh,
1: I better make sure that uh, that uh, website is uh, is working properly. I, uh, I don't really maintain it,
0: but yeah. Isop- IsoPodlabs.net. That's I S O P O D L A B S dot net, and uh, it's got a little picture of an insect
1: there over the Earth. and orbit. It's an IsoPod. Yeah. An is- and an IsoPod is basically a rolling foli bug. And they're so named because uh, all of their legs are the same. Oh, right. Uh And I don't know how we came up with that name. I think we just uh, uh, we wanted something almost as stupid as Luxo Flux, but not quite. And I don't know, I, it's, uh, yeah, uh, the logo. You see um, also uh, on our list of games, there's uh, Vigilante 8 Arcade Wii. Um, that was our first uh, thing, basically after, um, uh after Luxoflux, um, we had to, uh, me and Peter, my co-founder um, um, of Luxoflux, uh, we were not allowed to be in the video game industry for a year. So um, uh, we uh, did various personal projects. Um, I um, helped uh, with this house uh, remodeling and whatever. Um, but then, as our big come back, we didn't know what to do. We thought, we we really enjoyed making, making Vigilante Eight. Why don't we just make Vigilante Eight as a downloadable app on Xbox uh, 360? Because um, I, I think that was looking like it was a uh, it was a, a, a good new um, avenue to to explore, and um, and Vigilante Eight is very arcadey anyway, and it seemed like you know that would be a perfect. Uh, um, thing to do. So, uh, Vigilante Eight Arcade is um, no common code with Vigilante Eight. Uh, it's a total rewrite, reimagining, um, and it was also a lot of fun to make. Um, and um, and its big uh, draw, I think, is that it's online as well. So you can play, you know, head to head with uh, people um, remotely. Although I imagine there's nobody on those servers anymore, but. Uh, yeah that was that was my first experience writing a uh, um, an online game which actually you know takes us back to the earlier thing is, is uh, I uh, until then I had um, you know I'd written all sorts of aspects of games I'd written you know the rendering engines the collision detection the animation whatever uh, all of these in the AI I, I'd never done anything um, online uh, so that was kind of um, I, I, I enjoyed learning how to do that too, because that that was actually a an aspect of game development that, first of all, I'd never really had any experience with, and secondly, that a lot of people had uh, found very difficult. It was it's very a, few, huge, very it's, few it's a huge started.
0: jump up. It's a huge jump up. Yeah, because you're basically so dealing then, with predictions and.
1: Yeah. But, so yeah, that so that that was that's that was basically my. Uh, um, my my um, baptism into the world of online games, and then Jimmy Johnson is online as well. Yeah. So it's like an, it's an it, I suppose I'm saying that really is an example of you know there's always new things to learn and it's uh, makes it fun,
0: really. Wow, 60,000 60, copies were sold that game at least in the Middle East. At least sixty thousand. I'm reading. I'm reading the Wikipedia uh, article. Oh, sixty thousand copies sold as of June 2010. On Vigilante 8 Arcade.
1: Oh. Yeah. So uh, Vigilante, 8, of course, is uh, uh, as property is owned by Activision. So it was sort of funny to go back to Activision after they. Um, well, so it's that's another story about you know how we left Luxor Flux, Lux, but. Um, uh, basically we said, would you mind if we made um, you know, a game based on your property but our old game, Vigilante 8 and I suppose eventually they said yes, we gave them half the royalties
0: Yeah So um, have, you, have you ever done any web development?
1: Uh, not really I um, um, like a year ago I tried to help out uh, a friend who you know, I, I don't have much, I don't have any experience in it. But he, he just said, please, please, I need help doing this thing. And I said, I don't know how to do any of that crap. It's not worth, uh, you know, it's, it's not, um, you know, you, you can get so many better people than I am. Why would you, why would you, and, and I knew I would hate it. too. But in fact, I didn't hate it. I, I So I did do some work for a guy who was um, uh, trying to uh, try and make a, a system for um it, it was like to supplant uh um entertainment systems in airplanes so they would have basically just a uh sort of a web server in the plane and have everybody using their ipads or whatever to connect to this thing um and play movies uh or whatever from uh, from from a device stored in the plane so it was just like rather than having you know a million seat back um screens they would have people using their own devices, and so it was all connected through web-like technology. And so I um, was doing some work on that, and it was it was interesting. It was definitely interesting, and I um, um, I learned a lot again. Uh, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I I think in the end it 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 it, um, it frustrated me more than I than 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 anything. There were a lot of things that just felt needlessly. Cumbersome and clumsy, and you know, I I know how the whole thing sort of evolved over years of, you know, these text-based formats. But uh, uh, there, there just seemed to be so much complexity layered on top of complexity uh, that I suppose I'm not really used to. I, 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 I sort of like, I like all of those layers of complexity to be my layers of complexity, not other people's layers, because you know, understanding them is always tricky.
0: Yeah, I don't think the web was ever designed to basically do what it's, yes. it's doing right now with um yeah. I mean the guy who wrote JavaScript, he wrote it basically in I think it was several days or a couple of weeks or something, and and then it just it's just everywhere JavaScript. JavaScript's the most popular language it's ever been. Yeah. Um and what what you what you do the kind of projects you're doing sounds a lot more interesting than the kind of work that I do and day to day and making sure CSS works for this dev and supports browsers and um, yeah. it's just just pays the bills I guess. So, um,
1: well, actually, you asked me earlier what I was doing right now. What I'm doing right now is I'm, um, I'm trying to. So, if you heard of Electron, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's basically this uh, uh, um, sort of app um, what's the word um yeah it's basically a way to create desktop apps using node and um and web technologies Mm -hmm. essentially and uh uh i'm um i'm exploring this new idea with peter morrowick whose name keeps on coming up um and he he's now essentially become a web developer uh uh, that that was that was where he went after he he was he was the designer at Luxoflux. Flux uh, he co created the company with me, and I support Labs. He he was you know his main job was lead designer and you know also manager. Uh, he 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 went on to become a, a web developer. Uh, he he thought you know he would just learn all of the technology at some um, um, college uh, somewhere and just do that and and he's done it and he's, that's what he does now. So now we're thinking about doing this. Uh, uh, this um, new project and he would like to be able to contribute um, and so I want to have um, an entry for him to an entry point to the code to the development using web technology so like like electron but when I started looking at electron uh, it seemed like it was really just uh, so I mean basically it's, it''s it's chromium it's basically all of the code that Google created the, the, the chromium code um, with some tweaks, or with, with a few little bits added on. And all of those bits that they added on were stuff that I already had. So I thought, I'm not going to use the Electron, I'm just going to incorporate um, Google's Chromium stuff into my stuff, and then he will be um, good to go. So that's uh, what I've been doing uh, for the last week or two, and uh, it, um, it's interesting, but it's also sort of horrifying how many layers of stuff i mean there's, there's there's a couple of layers i'm removing by not going to electron but but the layers that are there it's like uh you, I, I tried to get to grips with everything that chromium was doing in the browser stuff and then it says it's using this um it's using uh, what's it called uh, blink is it's uh, i'm not sure what they call engine, it rendering web web it. Yeah. Engine, yeah. web engine yes okay so i thought okay i don't know what a web engine is as composed as opposed to what this web browser is but now I'll look into this and find out how they're doing things. Because I'm trying to get into the point where I can switch out their graphics so that it uses my graphics. Uh, So I'm reading all about uh, Blink and um, and how it's doing all the stuff. And then it gets to the rendering that says, um, and the rendering is done by Skia. So so the the web engine is not even doing the rendering per se. It's related, it's relegating that to something else. So now I'm reading about Skia and seeing how that works. And so there are all these layers of things and you think, um, it's it's hard for me to think in those terms because I think, well, what what is what is the Chromium thing doing? If it's not doing the web browsing, and what's this thing doing? If it's not doing the browsing, if it's not doing the rendering, and it's it's like um, and these are big, complicated projects, each of which is just adding one piece of the puzzle to some lower thing, and each of these things is its entire, you know, um, monolithic entity it um, anyway I digress
0: cool well um, anything else you want to talk to our audience before we finish part one uh,
1: part one I mean how many of these are, the, are they're going to be well I'll say I'll leave
0: it open to, to the future for further episodes one yes. day you know <laughs> uh,
1: well I suppose I didn't really talk about not uh, so flux you can talk about that sometime if you want you know, how, how, how we, well, I talked about how we started um, uh, and then we kind of, uh, you know, how we grew, um, how we eventually got acquired, how then we got ousted, um, all that stuff, all that juicy stuff.
0: Yeah, that would be an interesting story, actually. The, the story of a, could a podcast episode on just the, the acquisition of a company in the software industry. That would be an interesting one. Cool. So, yeah. Um, we're definitely, uh have had a lot of talk, we're doing a lot of podcast episodes, but um, we don't want to overwhelm you with all this fascinating information all in one episode. Uh, but, um, yeah, this was Adrian Stevens, it's a really hon- great honor to have you on the show. Um,
1: right, so it's been great to be here, it's, it's, it's a very strange experience for me to just talk about this stuff, because uh nobody is normally very interested at least uh, around my house they um it's uh it's not stuff that um goes over too well but uh, yeah uh it, so it, it was fun for me to talk thank you
0: yeah i mean as an as an engineer a fellow engineer recognizes a fellow master of the trade and so that's why it's it's, it's like probably some some footballer that meets some famous footballer
1: back in the day and you're like it's was like meeting pelly you know <laughs> <laughs> I am the Pele of video game developers. No, not really, but but that's a nice thought. Thank yeah. you.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thank you, my audience, and that was uh, that was Adrian Stevens. And uh, follow him on the links that I leave in the show notes. And uh, yeah, until next time. See ya. See ya.